Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ, and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. All right. How are we doing tonight? That is definitely the young adult response I was looking for. How... <laughs> don't even get to ask the question the second time. That is the response I'm looking for. Thank you, Tom. My name is, yeah, it's, it's Grogu, it's Baby Yoda. Uh, <laughs> pivotal part of my message right there. <laughs> it's strange. I did not bring the lightsabers. There aren't any explicit Star Wars references this time around. Um, but we are talking about godliness and orbital physics, which might sound a bit daunting. <laughs> It's very possible. I don't worry. Don't worry. It's all good. I'm here to walk you through it. And at the <laughs> no PhDs necessary. But that is the message. As a young adult family, at the start of the year, we sat down and we talked about different topics we might like to uh, explore. Orbital physics was not one of them, but godliness was. <laughs> And so that's what we're going to do. And I think the next Grow Night will be Rod and Gigi? Yes. yes. And so they're going to take us... Oh, after. The one... Oh, okay. Well, eventually, they're going to take us through how to be godly men and godly women and, and what that looks like separately. But tonight, we're going to look at a more general overview for godliness, if that's okay. Oh, yeah? And, yes, I, there is already some expectation of what's going to happen, <laughs> I can see in all of you. And there is an expectation that comes with this word godliness, in fact. Godliness, righteousness, Christian. In our minds and in culture, in society, there are expectations, not just uh, upon the word, as in what do we expect the word to mean, but if we want to apply that label to someone or to ourselves, there are expectations in our minds of what that looks like. A righteous person looks and acts a certain way. Or so we think. And same with a godly person. Is a godly person different from a righteous person? Well, we're going to find out. And to take us there first, we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, where Paul says to Timothy, But you, man of God, flee from all this, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And in this verse, Paul has listed righteousness and godliness, which to me says there must be some sort of a difference. And because Paul hasn't listed them like with a bunch of different words for righteousness, he's listed very distinct categories. He's listed love, he's listed faith, he's listed endurance. Did he? Yes. Okay. Just, wasn't, just, just checking I wasn't adding my own thing to the list. Um, <laughs> and so righteousness and godliness are different. They look very similar symptomatically, but there is a difference. And this difference is important as we explore and pursue godliness. And because there is, as we will find, there is an active component to godliness, which might sound scary. It might sound like, oh, if I'm supposed to like do something to, to reach this level, 
well, then I probably can't get there. And again, that comes with where we're setting these expectations and even what we're setting these expectations around. And so we're going to explore that. But righteousness, righteousness, as the word says, and you can probably already see if you've read ahead, um, is about doing and seeking right, about being right. It's in the name. It's quite simple. It's not rocket science just yet. Just yet. <laughs> and so the focus of righteousness, the lens, the narrowing, what we spend our, our attention on is doing and being right, which is okay. It's a great thing to spend your attention on. But it is different from godliness. Godliness is about God. It's about doing and being like God, as God, with God. And so, as I said, symptomatically, these end up looking very similar because God is righteous. So the more we are godly, the more righteous we will look. And vice versa, if we are pursuing righteousness and we are doing the right thing, we will look quite godly because God is righteous. So they look very similar, but there is differences here, and they are important. And the second difference is in uh, our requirement, if, if you will, of godliness and righteousness. Righteousness is a gift given to us upon the moment of our salvation by the power of Jesus' blood on the cross. And that is such a wonderful, precious thing that we, honestly, I, I just take it for granted way too often. Like, how do you even begin to fathom this measure that we could not measure up to? I've spoken about that before. And, and it's a gift freely given, freely given, no strings, no catches. Now, that's an offering. And in Romans 3.22, it says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified, that is, made righteous, through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness is a gift. But godliness is a vocation. An imago day vocation given to us as the start point of a journey from Genesis when man and woman were made together in the garden and they were made in the image of God. It says in chapter 1 verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. There's something so beautiful about that. Now, this creation account, different theologians have had different theories about exactly how creation worked and why it was written down the way that it was in its very poetic and imageful form. And some of them have likened the seven days of creation to the construction of a temple and the stages of a temple construction. And what a temple is, is the space where heaven and earth overlap. And that temple later becomes Jesus, and then that temple later resides in all of us. Uh, but that's, that's a bit ahead of Genesis. In Genesis, the temple is this Garden of Eden. And so, uh, if we were to guess, what do you think the most important part of the temple is? If we're building a temple, what's the most important part? The foundation? Maybe. Yeah, it's a pretty good part. 
multimedia, <laughs> live streaming services for sure. Um, I think that the most important part of the temple isn't the floor, the walls, the roof. It isn't the incense. It isn't the, even the people inside it. It isn't the sacrifices on the altar. The most important part of the temple, like let's imagine it's temple of Buddha. So we're not talking temple of God, temple of Buddha. What's the most grand and important thing in that temple? The Buddha. The image of Buddha. The statue of Buddha. Plated in gold or solid gold for all I know. And so on this sixth day, the last active day of creation, God puts the most important part of his temple in his temple. And that is his image. He puts us. Isn't that a... That's, oh, that's our vocation. That's our calling to live out that image of God in that space where heaven and earth overlaps, reflecting the glory of God to creation and collecting the worship of creation and giving it back to God. That is the calling, the imago Dei, the image of God calling placed upon us. And in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Godliness is a vocation of doing and being the image of God. Still a gift, as we, res- like we, we didn't make ourselves in the image of God. God made us. But there is an active component here. And so if that's what godliness is, what does it look like in our lives? How do we become more godly? Is there a a thing? If we go to the next slide. Yeah, there we go. I just just found that on the internet and thought it was really cute. Uh, (laughs) What does godliness look like? To explore this, (laughs) to explore this, I'm going to use an image picture, an analogy of the solar system and planets and orbits, and some of that might intimidate some of you. I assure you it's not as scary as it sounds. You are definitely smart enough for this, Tom. Uh, But I do want to preface by saying, like, God... Like, as I was going through this sermon, God gave this image to me. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. That works. That's a good thing for godliness. And then, as I thought about it more and more, uh, he just added layer after layer after layer and just blew me away. And so we're going to talk about quite a few things, exploring what this godliness looks like. But if these images and these comparisons don't work for you, please don't put too much weight on them. Just, just drop them. Because at the end of the day, like, this is an image, an analogy. It's here to try and help us explore and see what godliness looks like. It isn't godliness itself. Does that make sense? So there isn't any pressure on that. But I hope that this will give you some takeaways tonight. So to start with, we've got, I think next is our solar system, as we know it. We're all pretty familiar with that. That's not to scale. Those aren't the correct distances, yada, yada. Um, But we've got the planets, and we've got the sun. Now, this next one is the kingdom of heaven. This is what it looks like. (laughs) 
Yeah, okay. You, you can take a second to see where you are. Uh, it's not all inclusive. This isn't the only people in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm Earth because I'm the most important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's not, that's Saturn, but good try. Um, <laughs> okay, so we are, if, if we call, if we imagine a solar system called the kingdom of heaven, Jesus and God, the Godhead, is the sun. And yes, that is a play on words that I will be coming back to a lot. The sun is the sun, okay? Um, and we are the orbiting bodies. We are the planets. Now, righteousness, at the moment of salvation, we receive this gift of righteousness. That is being in the solar system. We're not in a different solar system. We're not in the solar system of the world. We're not in the solar system of money. We're not in the solar system of Satan. We are in the solar system of God, the kingdom of heaven. That is the gift of righteousness. Godliness... Very similar, but slightly different. Godliness is orbiting the sun. Why does this difference matter? Because when you orbit the sun, the sun is the center. You can be in the solar system and be jetting off in your own direction, or you can be in the solar system and you can be orbiting, revolving around, centered upon the star, the sun, Jesus Christ. And once again, these look very similar. 99% of the bodies in a solar system will be going around the sun because that's just how gravity and physics works. Like if you're in the solar system, chances are that's, this is what you're doing. But it is possible to, to go off on our own steam and entering the solar system is a gift, but orbiting is our vocation. It has an active, uh, mobile component to it. Um, and so when, when, uh, when we orbit the sun, that's called heliocentrism. You may have heard that before. Um, so that just means sun-centered. And so way back when, we thought the universe was geocentric, centered around the Earth, but now we understand that our solar system is Heliocentric. No flat earthers, please. Um, not going to work with this orbital physics stuff. Um, <laughs> so, that's the solar system. It gets a little bit more complicated from here, but it's all good. Next, I'm just going to take you through some of the basics of an orbit. There are two main components. One is the radius, how far away the orbiting planet is. The second is the orbital velocity, how fast it goes round. Now these two components have a relationship. The closer you are to the sun, the faster you go round. And the further out you are, the slower you go round. And I can explain exactly why, but that's not completely necessary. I don't want to, like the only numbers in my slides are the numbers for like chapters and verses of scripture. So don't get too freaked out. <laughs> um, and so that's the basics of an orbit. And with an orbit, like you'll notice, at least last time I checked, Earth doesn't have any engines on it. Like it's not got this giant thing at the back propelling it around the sun. <laughs> 
just you know, it's just got like a V8, and then we just a chain crank, and then we it just putters, puts around the sun. Um, but the Earth doesn't have that. So what what's making the Earth go round? It's all gravity. The Earth had as as the solar system formed, it had an initial velocity, and then. As it goes past the sun, the sun's pulling it in, and as it goes past, like you add those two directions together, it going past and the sun pulling in, and it ends up just going around and around and around. And it doesn't spiral inwards, it doesn't go outwards, not by any large degree. It's just perpetually falling and perpetually held. Gravity is doing all the work. Like we imagine a tennis ball going round and falling. Um, depending on how far you throw it, like you, you might see the curvature of the Earth, you probably won't. Um, but it's just being pulled by gravity. Once, it let, once it's out of your hand, it's just falling. The Earth is just falling all the time, forever falling and forever held. There's something in that. And so, uh, the next slide is just some orbits. It's just a picture. Pictures are nice. Um, the blue ones are the planets we know and love. The red ones are some of the dwarf planets which people like debating about. Um, and you'll see some of them have some pretty funky orbits. And there's lots of other things in our solar system, big and small, mostly small. But that's, our, uh, that's some orbits. Um, so if we're using this kingdom of heaven analogy, I want to say, I want to suggest that the radius is our intimacy with God. This is the inpouring into your life. And our orbital velocity is our works, our service, our mission, our outreach. This is the outpouring. And so there is a relationship, as we explore what this godly life looks like, there is a relationship that we need to be aware of. The closer you are to God, the faster you're going to go. The more you draw into him and into his love and you get filled up by his spirit, the more you're going to see. And it's, it's, not, it's almost an unwilling side effect that you're just going to see outpouring and blessing, not necessarily to yourself but to others. It's going to be pouring in and pouring out and you're just going to be this vessel and this conduit. And consequently, if we're far away from God, if we're not drawing in, then we're going to slow down. And that, we're still orbiting, which is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And I'm not here to condemn anyone's orbit tonight to say, oh, you're, you're out there with Neptune, or good job, you're here with Mercury. That's not the point. But as we explore this life, this understanding of godliness, it is uh, a fact that the closer we draw, the more we get filled, the faster we're going to go. And... Our orbit is not upheld by our own strength. It is all the gravity of the sun, the attraction of Jesus that keeps us where we are and sustains us and moves us along. Like we're still moving and there is, there is an active component, a, uh, a saying yes to God component. But we are held and supported. We are founded upon the grace and love of God. And so that is orbits. Now we get into some of the funky stuff. Escape velocity and orbital decay. I won't get you guys to repeat that. Uh, 
So, if we try and speed up and we try and outpour more, serve more, work more, do more for God and the kingdom, but we aren't drawing in close, we will reach what is called escape velocity. What do I mean by that? I mean that if there is an object in an orbit and it speeds up, but it's not getting closer, it's going to end up, it's like it's going too fast for its orbit and it's going to shoot off under its own steam. And what does that mean? It means it loses that heliocentrism, that all-important Jesus focus. And some of us, we can just get so on fire for going, going, moving, doing, that we forget what's actually sustaining us and giving us light and life. If the earth decided to have engines and shoot off on its own steam, very quickly it's going to go cold and dark and it's going to freeze over because it's too far away from the sun. And so in our godly life as we explore that, like we can understand speeding up sounds like a pretty good thing. But we have to do it understanding the nature of this orbit that we need to draw in close. And consequently, if you draw in close, but you don't speed up, now this one is more of a challenge, then what happens is you're going to be going too slow for your orbit, and you're going to spiral and crash. That's what it looks like in physics. What does it look like for us? What I mean is if you're drawing into God and you're, like, you're so focused on coming, getting in, pouring, and getting infilling by God, there is a mandate and a calling within that to go and do for the kingdom. And that can be scary. That, that can set us on edge saying, oh, I, have to, like, I, I just want all of God, and now you're telling me to go and do. Well, God's heart, as we discover it, God's heart is for the lost and is for the broken and is for the orphan and the other. And so if we, are, if we want to be close to God... We have to understand that that's the nature of God that we're going to discover. And if we uh, resist that as we draw close, well, we're going we're gonna to spiral and crash. And so in James uh, 2, it says, faith without works is dead. And that's not a condemnation. Like some people uh, say, is James who says we need faith? works and faith is he contradicting paul who says uh salvation through faith and, and we don't need works no they're totally on the same page we are saved by faith but as we have faith and as that grows works are going to come out of it and if works don't come out of it something's going a bit wrong with that faith and that can be scary but it's true and in luke 9 23 well jesus put it in the scariest way back in the day he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is the Imago Dei vocation. That is godliness. And it's a bit scary. But once again, we are held by the gravity of the sun. And that gives us all of our going power, as it were. <laughs> that is our engine, to, to use other words. Okay, we're going to explore a few more aspects now, and these ones are a bit quicker. Next is mass. Planets have mass. We get big planets, we get little planets. And 
the funny thing is, the mass of a planet doesn't affect its orbital velocity. We've got the radius, we've got the orbital velocity, and those two have a relationship, but the mass of a planet doesn't affect that. What mass does affect is inertia and momentum. It affects the resistance to applied forces. And so for us, what does that mean? Taking this image to the kingdom of heaven. It means that the bigger you are in yourself, the harder it will be to draw close to God. Because there will be a resistance to movement. The more massive you are, the more self-concerned you are, the more you build yourself up and, and are concerned with your strength and your ability and your power, if God's tugging on you, you're going to be resisting with your own gravity. And once again, we lose some of that heliocentrism. We lose that Jesus center because suddenly we're all concerned about our gravity and we get bigger and bigger. Maybe we even become a little sun instead of a planet. That's very dangerous. And so that means that as we, as we try to live a godly life, what do we have to do? We have to try and become as small as possible to get rid of, to shed all of that excess weight and to become as small in ourselves as possible. The Bible calls it humility or meekness to say, here am I and there you are and the less of me, the more of you. The smaller I am, the more I see the vastness of your glory. And then it'll be easier because you're smaller, you've got less mass. It'll be easier for God to draw you in. And in Luke 18, 9 to 14, we find, I won't read it all here, but we find the parable of these two men at the temple. We have the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee, his prayer is a prayer, it's worship, but it's very self-centered. And he thanks God for all that he has and all that he is and, and all that he does and that he's not like this other guy. Whereas the tax collector is on his knees, beating his breast. He won't even look up to heaven. And he says, have mercy on me, God, for I am a sinner. One of these is more massive than the other. And one of these is closer to godliness than the other. And Jesus says that. He says, I tell you that this tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So that's mass. Next, we have reflective bodies. This one's of, if, if you haven't noticed yet, God it was just like showering me with all of these different planet things, and I'm just like, this is great. Um, you might not enjoy it as much as me, but I was just so happy that afternoon. I was like, crazy stuff. But, but reflective bodies. If you look at a planet in the night sky, crazy thing. It looks like a star, but it's not glowing, right? Even crazier thing, we look at the moon, it's this giant, white, shiny thing. But it's just a lump of rock. And not a shiny rock at that either. It's like a dusty rock. Why does the moon glow? Does anyone know? 
What? Because the sun reflects on it. It's reflecting the light of the sun. If we're imagining this kingdom of heaven, guys, that's us. That's Imago Day. We get to catch the light of the sun and reflect it to the world. We are reflective bodies. How amazing. And the best part about that is, you know when you notice those planets? Is when it's nighttime. We get to see the light of the sun even when we can't see the sun. And so for us here now, as, as modern-day Christians, we get to go out to our family, to our friends, to our colleagues, to those who don't know Jesus and who never want to ever set foot in a church. And we get to be that sunlight to them in their night. That is Imago Day that we catch the light of Jesus and we shine it into the darkness as we orbit around, as we are Jesus-centric. And in Matthew 5.16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. After this, we come to elliptical orbits. This one's really quick. Elliptical orbits. This is just a quick thing to say. Orbits are never uh, circular. Do I say circular or spherical? They're not 3D. Orbits, orbits are never circular. <laughs> My bad. They're always a bit oblong, like an oval. That's like even the Earth's. Sometimes it's a little bit closer to the sun. Sometimes it's a little bit further away. And that's okay. And what happens with that is we get a bit of seasons. And in life, we're going to have seasons. There's sometimes when you're going to be close to God and you're going to be whizzing around and inpouring and outpouring. And then there's going to be other times through no fault of your own. Sometimes it totally is our fault. But sometimes through no fault of our own, we're a bit further away. And we slow down a little bit. And we start hammering at ourselves for what's happening to me, why is, why is this all going on? It's just an elliptical orbit. Next time you're in a, a dry spell, you can just say to yourself, it's just an elliptical orbit. <laughs> I'm sure you'll remember that. Um, and I've got the fancy terms up there just because I can. Aphelion is when we are at our furthest, and perihelion is when we are at our closest. That's just the jargon. You don't need to take that in your notes if you don't want to. <laughs> But yeah, we, we don't have to be on fire all the time, and that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Gosh, sometimes I have to tell myself that. We get to the last two sections now, and this is the fun part. We get to moons. Planets have moons. We are very familiar with our moon. Yeah, I know, it's, it's not exactly like standing ovation applause, oh, this is exciting moons, Luke. Come on, it's physics. Um, but moons are exciting. Um, <laughs> uh, are you still with me? I should check. Yep. Has the science made sense so far? Great. I'll take it. <laughs> okay, moons. 
Uh, we're very familiar with our one moon, but some planets have a lot of moons. Jupiter has like 50-something, four big ones and then a lot of tiny little ones. Moons do many things with a planet. First of all, and this is probably the hardest to wrap our heads around, so this is the one you have to pay attention to. Uh, moons actually pull the Earth a little bit in its orbit, and the, moon, uh, the Earth actually starts orbiting around itself. This is something called a barycenter. This blew my mind when I heard of it, because I'm like, this is, you just don't learn this. Like, we think the Earth is here, and the Moon goes around it, right? That's what we think happens. Apparently, that's wrong. The Earth and the Moon both orbit around their common center of mass, which, mean, which means you like add the mass of the Earth and the mass of the Moon, and then you like find out where it kind of averages out. And so the Barry Center, and we'll see the image in a little bit, not, oh, we're already there. Um, the Barry Center, you'll see, it's within the Earth's crust, but it's actually a little bit to the side of the center. And so the Earth is kind of doing this on itself, just like, just orbiting within its own, I know, right? It's not making sense? Okay, see, see that Barry Center spot? The Earth spins around that. The, so, see, there's the center of the Earth, there's the center of the Moon, and then there's the one in the middle. The Earth actually goes around that, and the Moon goes around that point as well. This is the, this is the craziest, hardest to get point in the sermon, but that's actually what happens. It's called a barycenter. The, um, the solar system as a whole actually orbits not around the Sun, but around the common center of mass of the entire solar system, which is just outside of the sun. So the sun's doing a tiny little circle, and everything else is doing bigger circles. It's okay if you... Yes. I, I, knew, this would, I knew this would be the one that lost people. Okay. All you need to know, for the sake of the analogy... All, okay, everybody, eyes on me. Eyes on me. <laughs> All you need to know for the sake of the analogy is that the moon causes us to orbit on ourselves a little bit, and that's all you need to know. You don't have to quite understand why, but that's what's happening, okay? We'll come back to that. Another thing that moons do is they affect the tides. We're a lot more familiar with that one, right? The moons affect the tides. Okay, I can just move on from that. Um, <laughs> and the last one is moons uh, sometimes move in front of the sun, that's called a transit, and because our moon is so big, it completely blocks the sun, and that's called an eclipse. We know what an eclipse is, right? Okay, tides and eclipses, good. Barry Center, bad. Okay. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. Well, this is all bad. This is all bad because our moons are our idols. So, I'm telling you, when God shoved all this stuff on me, I was just, I was having those ah moments myself. Um, so, okay, get this right. So, the more moons we have... And the bigger the moons are, 
So the more idols we have and the bigger we make these idols, the more that we're going to start revolving around ourselves because they pull on our gravity and make a battery center. You don't exactly have to know why, but that's what happens, okay? The more idols we have, we start revolving around our own little world. We become our own little sun with our own little planets. They're called moons, but... Second thing, as the moon dictates the tides, our idols influence and dictate our behavior. Saturn needs to get rid of some of its moons, honestly. But, yeah. Um, and eclipses. The more moons you have, the bigger the moons are, they're going to start blocking out the light of the sun. Now, we only have one moon, and it eclipses the sun every so often. But if you imagine that you've got, like, ten moons... They're going to be going across, and you're never going to see the sun. All you're going to see is your idols. And so as we explore this godly life, as we step in this godly vocation, we need to be very aware, how many moons do we have, and how big are they? Right. The last one, not as hard as Barry Centers, but it's a bit tricky, tidal locking. <laughs> tidal locking. Okay. So, we know that the moon's gravity affects the tides, right? This is similar, but more freaky. Okay? The, the moon actually pulls the Earth into a little bit of an egg shape because of its gravity. So, it doesn't just pull the water, it also pulls the crust, like the, the rock. And the oblong egg shape of the Earth, the very edges of this egg shape, pull back on the Moon's rotation and have slowed it until one side of the Moon always faces us. That bit we're a bit familiar with. Have you noticed one side of the Moon always faces the Earth? That's called tidal locking. That's what that's called. And eventually, well, if we fast forward many, many, many millions of years, the sun's going to explode. And then many, 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 many years after that, the Earth won't be around anymore. But if we could imagine it still was, the Earth will actually tidally lock back to the moon. And one side of the Earth will always face the moon. Let's hope it's Australia, right? That's pretty cool. Um, Pluto and one of its moons, Charon, are actually tidally locked like this. Um, not Sharon, not Karen. Sharon. Um, so one side of Pluto is always facing... You could actually put a rope from Pluto to Charon, and there's probably many reasons why it wouldn't work, but it's not going to twist because the same side is always facing. It's probably going to break for a million other space-related reasons. But you could build, build like a, a big elevator from, from Pluto to Charon. What does this mean for us, you ask? <laughs> This just means that as we go about this godly life, as we orbit Jesus more and more, we're going to get locked onto him. And more than that, it says in Numbers 6, 25 to 26, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This was, yes, it's in the blessing. That's where the blessing came from. Good job. Um, <laughs> and so that's just the last little kernel that God gave me with this godliness picture is that you can be far away, you can be close, 
But as we just go around, we're going to get locked on to God. And we're going to turn and we're going to face him more and more. And he's going to face us with the light of the sun. So this is an exploration of godliness. And I'm just going to come back to what we addressed at the start with what is godliness. Because we can start, like after everything that I've gone through, we can start thinking, okay, we need to be fast, we need to be close, how far away am I, how many moons do I have? All of these things, which as Christians, we should like think about and address in time. But godliness is not dependent on any of that. Godliness is to be in the solar system, to be a believer who's accepted God, who has that gift of righteousness, to be in the solar system and to be orbiting. And what is that orbit? That is heliocentrism, to be Jesus-centered. To live life, not just to live life saved, but to live life with God at the center of it all. And that is godliness. No more, no less. And so this exploration, I hope, has given you some things to think about with uh, maybe some things to change or maybe some encouragements um, or some understanding of just how it all works with, with going closer or going further away. But godliness, have no fear, is not dependent on you speeding up or drawing close. You've just got to be held by the gravity of God and focused centered on the light and love of the Savior. If I could get the team back up. There is one path in Scripture that I will just lead you through quickly that I find quite helpful when it comes to godliness, and that is the Beatitudes. Some theologians have said that there is a path that we can go through, a journey within these Beatitudes. Some do disagree. That is out there, so I won't say this is the only opinion. But in the first Beatitude, we start our path. And so if we can go down this path, this can help us. Uh, Well, the way it was put by Dave Ryder was, these Beatitudes, this is the type of people God is looking to populate his kingdom with. This is the type of planet he wants in his solar system, in other words. Um, And so first we have, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is to say, if you are poor in spirit, you recognize your brokenness, and you recognize the brokenness of the world, the destitution. So step one in this journey is to recognize that, to be poor in spirit. And then from there, we can go one of a few ways. Some people see their brokenness, and they revel in it, they exalt it, they dive head first. But Jesus is looking for people who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That we see our brokenness and it, it breaks us. That we grieve the state of ourselves and the state of the world. In verse 5 of uh, Matthew 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so again, this is knowing our place to see in our brokenness, we can't fix it. We can can do so much and so little, but at the end of the day, 
we're still broken. And God is the only one who can make us whole. And so these are the first three steps that we recognize our brokenness, we grieve for our brokenness, and we know that we cannot fix it and only God can. And from there we are led to the fourth blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We say, I can't do this, so I need all of you. And we become heliocentric. We see our lives in the light of the Savior. And from here, we see what's the symptoms of godliness. The outpouring of that hunger and thirst being filled. We see blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. From our brokenness comes a hunger. And from that hunger, we are filled and we outpour in mercy, purity, peace, and love. And so if the space stuff didn't work for you, <laughs> take the beatitude path, meditate upon it this week, this month. Go through each of the steps. Spend a day. It might be a bit, a bit of a downer day, but spend a day with your brokenness. Spend a day in the lament psalms or in lamentations with the Israelites who uh, deserted God and were left utterly devastated and were crying out. And then get hungry again and turn your eyes just as they turned their eyes not to the hills but above the hills to where the Lord is, where their help came from. So we turn our eyes away from our moons, away from ourselves and to the sun again. And we start that orbit again. 